This podcast is brought to you by Dr. James McIntyre and his team at Adjust Your Health in North Calgary. When I met Dr. James almost 20 years ago, I was taking 10 to 12 Advil every day just to get through my workday, not to mention the stuff I was doing at night like alcohol and other substances. I suffered from chronic pain due to car accidents, sports injury, and repetitive motion damage from being a drywaller. I had worked in the trades for nearly 20 years and had more than 10 car accidents, three very serious ones. I had some severe sports-related injuries. Most of my cryo SI would only give me temporary relief from day-to-day pain. It was getting expensive and depressing to see the other doctors knowing that I would be right back into the same boat the next morning. I was lucky that the last chiropractor I saw said that she cannot help me anymore and directed me to Dr. James McIntyre. After only a few visits, I felt tremendously better. Most of my pain had left, my mobility was coming back, and I didn't need as much Advil. If I remember right, it was only a few months and I was almost completely off the pills and life was getting better. I have known Dr. James and his crew for almost 18 years and referred almost everyone I know to him and they have become Adjust Your Health advocates. The team at Adjust Your Health offers a wide array of services including acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic, and physiotherapy. They believe in a multidisciplinary approach to patients' care and use a variety of techniques to help their patients achieve their goals of pain relief or injury resolution to improve sports performance. Calgary is privileged to have such a highly qualified team of practitioners available to accommodate your health and well-being needs. If you are in pain or an athlete or just want to be as healthy as possible, check them out at www.ayhcalgary.com. Our next sponsor is Paul Nye from Nye's Touch and Nye's Tats. There's some debate over who invented the first motorbike. Several men claim to have the first designer patent. Regardless who it was, my guess is that the very next year, some dude started customizing his newly invented contraption. Throughout history, men and women have been altering their transportation to move faster, turn sharper, or turn ahead or two. If you are customizing your ride to be low and slow, shiny and fast, loud and obnoxious, You have not completed the project until you have your custom paint job done. Paul Nye at Nye's Touch is your guy for custom paint on bikes, boats, cars, buses, or anything else you ride. You want a bike that looks like no one else? Nice touch. You want to honor a fallen friend with the hood of your car? Nice touch. You want a mural of your favorite girl on the side of a bus? You guessed it. Nice touch. Paul has been airbrushing for more than 15 years and his work will take your breath away. Check out his work on Instagram at Dripping Chrome or on Facebook at Nice Touch or call him at 587-435-4602 for your free estimate. Don't forget, Paul will be in a tattoo studio near me soon. And now, on with the show. No podcast with Chad Ferguson. Hey, everybody, this is Chad with the I Want to Know podcast, a kick ass 
podcast. <laughs> the last one, I over-enunciate that. Uh, I'm here today with uh, Tina Petro. Uh, she's a local council person uh, with the city of Airdrie. So we met at uh, Torchlight Theater uh, opening or an announcement, I guess, or their season announcement. And we got to talking, sort of hit it off. So I invited you on the podcast and you graciously said yes. So how's it going? It's going great. I'm very excited to be here. Cool, cool. I, uh, I go back and forth with my love and some of the dislikes that I have with the city of Airdrie, and, and recently I've held back in love with Airdrie again. So we have problems in Airdrie, as, as all cities do, um, and that's not what I want to focus on. <laughs> what, I, um, what I do want to focus on is why you love Airdrie so much, because that was one of the things in your council write-up, is that uh, you've been here for quite a few years and you have a real love for our city. Yeah, so I'd say uh, compared to some people, I'm still fairly new to Airdrie. Some people, like I talk to people that have been here their entire life, and they're they were, few and far between, though. Yeah, but yeah. I mean, it's it's exciting to hear those stories when they were here, when there was just you know one stoplight in the city, and <laughs> yeah. we didn't have the Walmart, we didn't have this. So, uh, I mean, I moved here in 2012 with my family, um, yeah. and we. We'd been living in Calgary for a while. We sold our house kind of at the height of that market boom. And then we decided we'd rent in a few places to see where we were comfortable. Yeah. Uh, so we did try a few other municipalities. And about a month after coming to Airdrie, I just fell in love with it and mm. knew that this was home. That's a, not the exact same story as us, but similar. We we just traveled around all the communities, came and had dinner, went to the rec centers, whatever. And when we came to Airdrie, we're like, yeah, this is the city for us. Yeah, it's just uh, just a unique feeling about this place. And I mean, when we moved here, of course, I didn't know anybody. Um, I know we had driven through Airdrie a few times before. <laughs> I had never been up here. Um, but the first week, there was this call on the radio for volunteers for the Airdrie Festival of Lights. I'm yeah. like, well, this sounds cool. Let's go check it out. And that kind of started me in the community and started me on the volunteering thing and uh, really integrated me into the community. And that's how I kind of just fell in love with everybody here. So Very cool. Did you have aspirations to go into politics prior to being no. in Airdrie? <laughs> no. Actually, you know what? I was never into politics before. It was never even on my radar. Yeah. I was going to be a horse vet. My entire life, I was going to be a horse oh, wow. vet. I decided that when I was seven years old. Yeah. Um, but through some medical journeys and some traumatic events that happened at the end of my high school career, um, that shifted. Yeah. And um, went through a few different business. I mean, I've been in business management for well over half my life. Um and then, yeah, just uh, 2015, I actually was the events manager for Mayor Brown when he was running for MLA. Awesome. Um, so kind of got my first glimpse into politics there, and it was very exciting. And when you can see the impact that people can make, uh, yeah. just set, set the fire in my heart, I guess. And, and this was just where I was supposed to be. I've always been interested in it, but pretty ignorant to the whole... <laughs> The whole layout, who does what, where, when, like, I know we've got, was it six council people? Um, yep. And then Mayor Brown, and you guys essentially make the, the rules for the city of Airdrie, is that correct? Yeah, that's pretty much it. So, um, I mean, it's it's weird. It's not really something that we learn in school. Like, I, I know I didn't learn anything about municipal government oh, good. when I was I thought in I school. just forgot it all. <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and I, for first I just thought it was because I grew up in BC. Maybe we didn't learn about it in BC, but I talked to a lot of people that didn't, they learned nothing about it in Alberta. And it's, um, it's fr it frustrates me that it's not part of the curriculum, more civic engagement and learning what your municipality does for you. Yeah. Um, I find that a lot of adults have no idea what the city, what services the city provides for them and, you know, which things fall under the municipal role, the provincial role, the federal role. I'm, I didn't know any of that either. And I'm learning yeah. it at breakneck speed here as we go along. I would imagine. Um, but yeah, I'd love to see more civic engagement to kind of make 
get people to know that. But yeah, so six counselors, one mayor, and we collectively try and make the best decisions possible to keep the city moving forward, not just to, you know, maintain our status, but figure out where we're going to be in 10 years, 20 years, uh, when we're at a population of 100,000 people, what do we need then? Um, And we've had had some struggles for sure. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of the big things that we require are not under our municipal control. So we can advocate as much as humanly possible, which we do continuously. Yeah. Um, You were talking about like the the health stuff? Yeah. So the health stuff, it's, um, you know... Maybe I'll just update. So Airdrie's got about 70,000 people. We have an urgent care and and several walk-in clinics, but we don't have a hospital. And some people believe that that's a little over the population limit for a hospital, that we should have one here by now. Yeah, so I mean, um, I guess I should probably have started this whole thing out with everything that I say here is my personal opinion. Um, I don't speak for council. I I speak just for myself and what I've observed and, and seen since I've lived here. Um, so we do have the urgent care center and we have an amazing, amazing foundation, the Airdrie Health Foundation that works tirelessly to make sure that we have what we need in this community. Um, so, uh, Michelle Bates and the people who started the foundation, uh, they were very instrumental in the success of getting 24 hour health care here, yeah. which we didn't have, which was shocking. I, I, I forgot about that. So our urgent care is now 24 hours. We haven't is. had to use it in a long time, thankfully, yeah. but yep. uh, it's now 24 hours. Yeah. And, and they were very instrumental in making that happen. So, um, we do have a place that people can go 24 hours a day to get emergency care. If yeah. they have a situation, they have a place to go. Um, I know that there was talks for a long time about a North Campus Calgary hospital coming on board, similar yeah. to the South one, but just north of Stony Trail, which for Airdrie would be life-saving minutes. Oh, for sure. The difference between Balzac and uh, mm-hmm. Peter Lougheed is probably 15, 18 minutes maybe. Yeah. So, And that's if you're driving like fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like emergency fast. Yeah, but we all travel the speed limit, so, you know, it takes a little <laughs> bit longer than that. But, I, um, no, I, so... I won't tell the story. <laughs> I, I can't wait to hear that later. Yeah. But, um, no, there's... So, as far as getting health care right now, we are set up to make sure that people always have the care that they require. Yeah. Um, whether it's an emergency service or a family doc, we, we have quite a few family doctors in the community. And um, some fantastic ones. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so... Um, we would never stop advocating for a hospital right. because it's something that we will need. But um, we've been told over and over and over again that within the provincial scope, I like there's been all kinds of date ranges thrown out of when funding would be available for Airdrie for a hospital. Yeah. Um, so in my personal opinion, with the 24-hour health care and continuously continuing to advocate for that North Campus hospital, yeah. that will serve our population very, very, very well. Yeah. Um, and then as we move forward into... Shifting from health care to health as we move into the Blue Zone project. I forgot about that. I definitely <laughs> wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, so this is something that I am extremely excited about. Because um, when you look at health care versus health, if you can keep yourself healthier, yes. Um, and when we talk about health, a lot of people just always think and immediately diet and exercise. Those are the two things that come up. But it's so much more than that. It's your mental health. Yeah. It's reducing social isolation, yeah. especially for seniors. Seniors yeah. are a big part of um, social isolation. So creating those multi-generational programs, getting youth with seniors, those are huge determinants of health. 
I, I couldn't agree more. My wife, as everyone's heard a thousand times, is that she's a holistic nutritionist, and you don't just just work on your diet. Although diet's super super important for your mm-hmm. mental and spiritual health. Yeah. Um, being physical is important for all those as well. That's why they call it holistic nutrition because yep. they take everything into account. Right? How do you reduce stress? How do you you know use exercise for more than um, just getting big? It could be for longevity. There there's a million different things in and around there, but I think you're right. The the senior um, uh, segregation where they're just kind of put in a home and left alone, that's yep. that's not a very fair thing to do. There's so many volunteer opportunities in Airdrie where we could bring the su- seniors out. Um, and so I think it's got to be a little bit of both. The seniors have to be willing. can't be us just sending people in to take yep. care of them. Um, but on top of it, we have to be available when they are ready to, to implement something that can be beneficial to them as well. Well, I would say... In Airdrie, our senior population is extremely active. They are continuously asking for more and more and more opportunities and activities to do. Um, If you drive by the pickleball courts on Main Street early (laughs) in the morning, like it is packed. Um, We just actually retrofitted the field house in Genesis Place to accommodate pickleball courts. So now we have indoor pickleball. Nice. Super popular. It's busy, not just with the seniors, but with the youth. They're all picking it up. it's a little bit easier on the joints, a little bit of an easier game, and it's uh, it's taking over like crazy. Yeah. Um, our over 50 club is past capacity. Like they're wow. just, they're so active. And I think a lot of that has to do with the the demographic setup in our community. So we have a lot of young families that relocated here to get out of the city. Yeah. Um, but with both parents working, sometimes the seniors come in to, to care for the kids. They're still very, very active. They still want a lot to do. So um, it's always a challenge keeping up with them, actually. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, we did that here. We uh, um, brought in both sets of grandparents. So my mom and dad and my wife's mom, and they all lived in the house while we were both working. And the kids were like little, little. Yep. So we always had a built-in babysitter. There was always a grandparent around. So if we needed to do something, I was running a business at a time at that time. And so having to run out, you know, on emergency calls and stuff like that, I never had to worry about it because there was always someone in the house. Yeah. And you, and, and you know what? So it, it's very <laughs> beneficial for the young parents who are trying to, you know, keep food on the table, that kind of stuff. Yeah. But it's beneficial for those seniors as well. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I have successfully almost relocated all of my relatives here, so I don't have to travel anymore, which is great. So we moved my mom close, um, my in-laws close. My father-in-law passed away shortly after moving here. So now, but it's it's great that my mother-in-law is so close because we can help her with whatever she needs. And uh, yes. she was in Saskatchewan before, so that's a long drive to, you know, go change a light bulb. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. uh, so it's very helpful that she's close by and we can... Um, have her here to help us with the kids and we can help her and we can all be together. So Beautiful. Yeah. And so what's the city of Airdrie doing to help keep, I mean, you said, talked about the blue zone and there was another program that they've recently started or trying to implement about exercise and uh, diet, nutrition, all that kind of stuff. Man, I'm going to have to look it up as uh, you're telling me about what Airdrie does to try to help people you healthy. You might have to refresh my memory on this uh, one. So. Uh, I mean, Blue Zone is the big one that we're doing. We're always trying to do health initiatives to encourage everyone of every age to be active, eat healthy, um, reduce. I, I say reduce waste because that makes me happy. Yeah, but um, it's important. It, it is. There's all these little, little teeny tiny social determinants that really affect your health. Um, I know that we are just implementing. Um, I do believe it starts in January. So Genesis Place, if you're 80 years or over, you get a free pass. Oh, beautiful. Yeah, so we're encouraging people to keep coming and staying active as they grow older. Yep. Yep. I can't find the program that I was thinking of. Me and my wife had talked about it because she thought about volunteering for it. 
Um, they were looking for nutritionists, and uh, it might have been government nutritionists, not uh, holistic nutritionists, but uh, we looked into it. I'm trying to remember who's running it. Mayor Peter Brown had posted about it. Okay. I'm totally drawing a blank. Me it's too. Pro- It'll yeah. come to me as we're talking. <laughs> yes, and then we'll discuss it once you remember what it is. But this is an important part of keeping a city young, is having the, the actual city involved into it. Yep. I know all of our parks have exercise equipment in them. Yes. Uh, those little uh, bikes and push-up machines and rowing machines and stuff like that right along our path. So they're, yep. I can think of three or four. Well, and I know, so at Nose Creek Park, we're actually just putting new ones in. I don't know if they're in already. I know last time I was there, there the fences were up and the old stuff was down. So there is new adult um, playground equipment going in right now. Awesome. Um, And it's nice because we have, um, every year in the budget, we do put aside money to, um, you know, maintenance and upgrades on all of our playgrounds around the city um, to make sure that they're always safe and uh, age appropriate for the, for the, I guess for the people that are living in that community, because, yeah. you know, the community shift as people age out or we get new little kids in. So we want to make sure that they're safe and age appropriate. That's very cool. I yeah. didn't know. So these are the things that I don't know about that our city does behind the scenes that maybe aren't all that public, like setting budget aside to upgrade or change a playground for the what you just said, the, the age group that is in that community. So I would say that as a resident, so I'm still very new to this. I was only elected in 2017, so I'm still learning everything. But as a resident, there's like 90% of the stuff that you just go on your day-to-day business and you have no idea what the city's doing. Um, there's so much. There's a tremendous amount of work that goes in from the city administration just to keep the city running smoothly. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just, um, we just went through our, um, let's say our update of our emergency management training. So it's it's one of those behind the scenes things where we're always preparing for the worst yeah. so that if it happens, we are prepared. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So all these things that you, you have no idea that's going on that are continuously going on. Our city staff work very hard. Yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about the um, solar panels that went at Genesis place. I hadn't heard about that until they started construction. So yep. I don't know if that was my ignorance or something to the city, which I thought was a brilliant idea that uh, the mayor is bringing in um, these energy efficient models, um, energy efficient programs to help our city, the, the recycling program our garbage program, and uh, I guess we just do the two recycling, the blue bins and the green bins, and then our garbage is um, minimized. We're only allowed a certain amount, which we never went over anyway, so we never understood. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, I was one of those people when I first got elected. I asked her, why don't we have black bins? Like, it just didn't make any sense. Let's put them all in the same size of bins and stuff. And it actually encouraged, um, if you don't have that black bin, you actually are encouraged to use your blue and green bins more often. If you okay. have that black bin, people tend to just throw a lot more trash out yeah. um, because it's easier to do so. Um, so by not having that black bin, you can still put your bags in garbage or in bins so that the, you know, shouldn't have animals getting in them in because all that stuff should be in your organics anyways. Right. But um, you can still put them in bins and stuff, but the black bin... Um, City of Calgary has them, and you can see that it does encourage people to use that black bin more if it's there, because it's easier just to toss stuff in it. Right, instead of to separate. Yeah, so to make that conscious decision to do the right thing, uh, it's easier if you provide them with those two bags, and then everything that doesn't fit, or the two bins, then everything that doesn't fit in those bins, that's what goes in your garbage. Right. So, yeah. so are we not planning on getting black bins right now? Um, not that I have ever heard about. Okay. I have, um, from the questions that I have asked... Um, we are going to stay away from those to promote using the blue and green bins more efficiently. 
I, unfortunately, I think most of my political information comes from Airdrie Dads. Which you is, know what? Airdrie Dads <laughs> is a great site. Um, it, it, it really is. I mean, yep. you get the odd bonehead in there, and, and they usually end up apologizing down the road anyways. Yep. But um, for the most part, there's a bunch of people that really love our city and are looking for change and trying to yep. help with change. Um, but that was one of the big complaints on there was that, how can we have these two bins and not a black bin? Yep. And no one had a real answer for them at the time. So I like this answer. So there, that, there's Councillor Petro's answer that, you know, so when we do our waste audits and um, we look through the recyclables and we look through the organics, the contamination in there actually costs us more money when it, when we have to fix contamination than if we do it right the first time. Right. So we're really, really, really focusing on trying to get people to a first, let's reduce waste. That's the number one thing. So we buy things that aren't in packaging Buy the, um, the mesh produce bags instead of continuously using the little plastic ones, right. which are recyclable. So you can put those in your <laughs> recycle bin. Um, it's, it's a lot of education portions of it. I yeah. know. So my mother-in-law, she's 82, just moved here, used a garburetor for absolutely everything in her, <laughs> in her life. Yeah. And if it doesn't go down the drain, it goes in the trash. So the education portion of just trying to shift that mindset to say, yeah. you know, if it's stretchy plastic, just put it in recycling. Um, the big one for her is fast food containers. Yeah. So like, you know, we, um, as much as I try and stick to our diets, it was taco Tuesday last (laughs) night. We went to taco time. And so, you know, you have the bag and all the taco wrappers and the Mexi fry things. It's all organics. I said, it's so easy. Just put it all in the bag, toss it in your green bin. They'll pick it up on Take the straws and the lids off and that's all you're going to do. Exactly. Put those in your blue bin and everything else goes in your green. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. So it's, uh, I mean, it, it. It can be confusing when you're first learning how to do it, but if you stick to it and you just keep saying, oh, here's my Tim Hortons cup, take the lid off, rinse it out, put it in the organic spin, we're good. Yeah. Uh, I know pizza boxes has been a big item of contention. People are like, I got in trouble for putting in this bin and I got it in, in trouble for the other bin. So if it's a clean pizza box, it goes in recycling. If yeah. it has food like grease on it, it's organic. So as soon as that food contamination goes on it, that becomes the organic. So it can go in the green bin, yep. no problem. Yeah, we've always stuck it in the green bin. I didn't know that you couldn't stick it in the green bin. Yeah, so the, uh, I think uh, I'm not sure the reason why if it's not contaminated with the food waste, they'd prefer it to go in recycling. I think okay. it's just ease of sorting. That would be my guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so but if it has that like grease and stuff on it, it would go in the green bin. Yeah. Well, um, I think be. the best resource that I give to everybody on the City of Airdrie website, there's that web page that where does it go? Okay. Have you been on there? I don't think I have. I just listened to my wife. Oh, well, <laughs> smart man. <laughs> smart man. But yeah, so if you're if you're somebody who's looking to figure out where does this item go, yeah. you just go on the City of Airdrie, Airdrie website, the where does it go? You type in whatever the heck you have. Yeah. And it tells you green bin, blue bin, garbage. Eastside Recycle Depot, it tells you exactly where it's supposed to go. So it makes it very easy for you. You know which one's confusing for me? Batteries. Batteries. So the remote batteries, the AA, the AAAs, yep. those kind of things, we don't have recycling for those. Yes. Anymore. So they are recyclable. Um, so every, I can't remember if it's twice a year or once a year, but the Eastside Recycle Depot will have their hazardous material roundup. Okay. So in our home, what we do is we have four different recycle bins. So we have one for our cans and bottles. Yeah. We have one for um, paper and cardboard. We have a third bin that takes all the, you know, the stretchy plastics, the uh, clamshells, the metal, the jars, all that kind of stuff that can go in your blue bin. Yeah. And then our fourth one is stuff that sits there until we can take it to East Side Recycle. Okay. So we, you know, packing peanuts, um, 
batteries, aerosol cans, light bulbs, all that stuff. You can take it back, but it's not always a regular thing. Okay. Um, but there are places like London Drugs. You can take batteries at any time. You can take light bulbs anytime, and they will recycle them for you. They have little drop-off bins right by the front door. Really? Yep. Um, I should have done more research. Yeah, so or maybe my wife should have, and then I could have listened. <laughs> then you could have listened to her, yeah. No, so there's there's lots and lots and lots of opportunities to recycle the right way. Um, we just have to actually use them. We have to educate ourselves and use them. Yeah, there you go. Yep. Now uh, problem solved. So yeah. we, we jumped way off topic. We I originally totally started did. with, which is fine. Uh, we started with, uh, I wanted to know more about what a council person does. Yeah. So you guys have a four-year term. Yep. And it's a volunteer position. Uh, it is a paid position. Okay. It's, um, it's like a part-time pay. So, okay. I mean, it is, we'll say it's a part-time job. Um, Depending on your uh, passion for the job? Yeah. So, I mean, I was still working uh, at my other job in Calgary when I was elected. Um, I found that I was stretching myself a little bit too thin with my volunteer um, stuff, with the council job, with my other job, with my kids, with all that. Um, so I quit my other job. So took about a 60% pay cut to do that. Yeah. Um, but this is a phenomenal job and I'm really, uh, I'm really excited to put everything that I have into this. So, so have you changed your outlook on politics now? Like, are, is this something you want to, you know, you'll stay as a council person or you're maybe eventually going to look to move up into politics to a different position? Um, I love being a municipal politician. Yeah. I have zero interest in becoming affiliated <laughs> with a political party. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I mean, if there was ever a way that we didn't have the political parties. Um, I, I would be all on board for moving to another level, but I love being with municipal because you actually get to talk to the people that your decisions affect every day. Yeah. And once you're at the other levels, you can make decisions, but you rarely get to see um, how they're actually affecting somebody, which is not a great way to make decisions sometimes. I just can't even imagine. Like it seems not to bash on our political uh, um political rules or political way of doing things, but it, it just doesn't seem like the right way to do it for the amount of population that we have. That having, you know, a prime minister for 36 million, what is it in Canada? It's 37 million? I don't know that answer. Yeah, it's it's big. Like, that's a lot for one person to handle yep. all the different provinces, all the different um, uh, um, communities, municipalities, that he's making rules for everybody. And uh, it it seems to be working less and less and less as we go forward. Well, and I think at the end of the day, it's important to remember that he's not necessarily making the rules. Uh, the the broader team would be doing it, and yeah. then and then it does have to go through scrutinizing when you put it into the house, right? So yeah. it has to go through votes. Um, there are a lot of policies that are made uh, when you have a majority government. It's very difficult to not have your stuff come to fruition, right? Because right? you're going to have the support of your party. Yeah. Um, I'm interested to see what happens. Me too. In the next four years. Um, not going to say that I was totally thrilled with the results of the election this time. Um, I, I was, I was, I didn't vote that way, but everyone that I talked to about politics, I'm like, you're, everyone's like, there's no way, uh, Trudeau's getting back in. There's no way the liberals are going to get back in. I'm like, don't underestimate it. Like if you don't want them in, then plan for them not to be in. And that's gathering up people and getting out there and voting and, and doing your part. And I don't know that enough people did that. The liberals do a really, really good job of getting people on board and getting them out voting, where maybe the conservatives don't do as good of a job of that. Uh, you know, and voter turnout is one thing that I will always be a strong advocate for. Like right. we just, 
even when we look at municipal provincial elections, like our voter turnout is, it's sad. Do you know what it was for the last mayor? Uh, um, mayoral? Is that right? Yep. Okay. Um, I want to say 25%. Because uh, I know when, I know in the previous election when Mayor Brown was uh, acclaimed, because there was no mayoral race in that one, right. it was just councillors, I believe it was only 18%. Like it's wow. it's really really low, and I mean I have my I have my theories on everything. Of course, I, I'm a very opinionated person, um, but I know that if we can start educating our youth yeah. now about what the city does for you, yeah. and all these questions that you're asking today, um, like I said, a lot of adults don't know the answers to these questions, um, and it's it's much easier to educate youth. Yeah, And I, I believe in the future, if we can start doing that now, in the future, we will have higher voter turnout because people will understand what they're voting for yeah. and they'll take the time to educate themselves on who they're voting for. I knew I grew up in a house where um, everyone just bashed politicians. And so you're kind of like, eh, I, why yeah. do I want to be part of this? And uh, so it wasn't until my kids got a little bit older and I was like, I need to be a bigger part of the community. I minimally started voting and, you know, listening to a little bit of news, doing a little bit of yeah. reading, making sure I'm making a good decision. Um, and then this year with the, um, uh, national vote, Eric brought home, uh, our, our, um, producer today <laughs> who's skipping out of school. <laughs> doing a great job. Doing a great job. Um, brought home a whole bunch of information that they're learning in school. So way more than what I had when I yeah. was in school where they actually did a breakdown. It's like the liberals believe this and they have everything done on healthcare, on bringing work into the, the country, on uh, finances, everything. And then we looked at, you know, the, the conservatives and the Green Party and yeah. everyone down the line and we could make a better educated decision. It's very important. Yep. It is. And he was actually excited about it, which was great that he came home and he's like, have you seen this and i'm like no so we sat down for what half an hour an hour and we went over everything and and it was good i like yeah. that he's getting involved i like that he has an opinion on um what politician is doing what and why and and that we could discuss it and like well because they're saying this doesn't necessarily mean this and yeah. right or it could be that they think this way everyone's uh, right now is bashing on shutting down the oil uh, field stuff and the oil sands and all that I don't know if it's the right decision or not, but I know that I could see why it might be a good decision. Um, not that I think it is or it isn't, but yeah. I could see why it might be. Um, if Saudi Arabia is allowed to uh, put their oil out on the market, there's nothing we can do in Canada to compete. Zero. So it yeah. might be nice to have a backup plan other than crude. <laughs> that, you know, and, and maybe we can do both together. Maybe we can't. I don't know. I'm, I'm a dumb construction worker that just plugs through my day um, and does a podcast and asks lots of questions. Well, you know, there's always room for diversity in every market. I agree. And, and um, if you put all your eggs in one basket, we end up in situations like we ended up in a couple of years ago here. Yeah. Um, it's, I'm, I would never say that we should not have our oil to market. But we have to have other things too, like like right. the tech sector is huge, and we have the ability to accommodate that in this region. Um, so if we can start focusing on the diversity, um, we'll have a much broader. Um, sorry, I'm going to lose my words here, but we're going to have a better chance of surviving right. long term um, economic ebbs and flows. Um, They're always going to happen. Yeah, because you know you may be lower in one section, but you'll be much higher in the other. So we have to have that diversity, and I think we've been lacking that for quite a few years here. I mean, we have a very strong agriculture agriculture sector here. Yeah. Um, we have a very strong oil and gas. Well, we had a very strong oil and gas sector. Um, 
tourism is great here. Like lots of people come to Western Canada yep. to to vacation to visit. We have stampede. We have rodeos. We have music. Yeah. Um, uh, concerts and uh, what am I thinking of? Like outdoor venues. Um, yeah. What can I think of the word? I would say our arts and culture is so um, underappreciated in so many forms. Um, a little underfunded too, in a lot of ways. Well, arts and culture is always on the chopping block every time there's budget cuts <laughs> to be made. That's that's historically the way it is, and yeah. and it's so it's so weird to think that way yeah. because arts and culture brings so much into your community, and it. Um, entices those companies to relocate to you are. Yeah. I always go back to the model of Google. Like Google is such a successful company. When you look at their business model, when they set up their home bases, they provide everything that their employees will need for them in one spot. Yeah. So um, entertainment things, shopping, that kind of stuff, stuff to make them uh, complete communities yeah. for a better quality of life. And if you create those communities, businesses are going to want to relocate there. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that's a really good point. There's there's um, a little bit of what we're missing here is that we're not driving businesses or our um, welping, welcoming businesses into Canada as well as we could be. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, I obviously I'm the social I'm more of the social person on the council. I'm I'm a very business minded person, but I'm a person that believes that economic prosperity is directly tied to social well-being. Yeah. So I that don't makes a lot of sense. I don't believe that you can have one without the other. Like if you have a community where you've neglected social responsibility, you yeah. have high crime rates and people are not as healthy and yeah. businesses aren't going to come there because they're not going to have that employee base that they need. Right. So they're very very directly connected <clears throat> and we have to always remember that and I don't think that we always do. We focus very heavily on the economic side of it and yeah. let social issues drop off. Yeah. But then we later on have to play catch up on those social issues because they become a problem. And then we become reactive instead of, you know, five years ago, we could have been preventative to make sure that this didn't happen. Agreed wholeheartedly. Yeah. I love that. Uh, I'm one of those people in business that I'm always looking at the disaster. Like yeah. I can see the disaster in the future and I just don't want to do it. I'm, I'm the guy on the front of the bow going, there's an iceberg. Yeah. Like, <laughs> let's just move off a little bit off center here so we can avoid that iceberg. And I think that... Again, back to our political system is that it's really hard for them to do that when typically it's a four-year term. So what can you do in four years for the future and then still keep your job in four years? Because if you only focused on eight, ten years down the road and don't get anything done right now, yep. you're not getting voted back in. You're just not. Well, I think that I – and I, I know no way around it. I have zero solutions for this problem. But <laughs> the four-year term is such a struggle for me because you mm-hmm. spend um, – like if you don't come from the political background and you're not being reelected, you're drinking through a fire hose for the first 18 months. Like, right. like trying the amount of data that I've had to absorb since getting this job, it's insane. Like my brain yeah. broke a little <laughs> while ago I, and I'm not even joking with that. Yeah. I've had an eidetic memory since I was a kid. I can recall data from any source. Ooh, I cool. can read a document. I can recite it back. That went away about six months ago where I'm actually having trouble processing information sometimes. Yeah. Um, so Is I've, it like the... the the jug is too full. There's no more room. Um, I'm not sure what it is. I, I've had insomnia since I was about 11 years old. And okay. I think my brain was always so active. And I've been sleeping recently too, which I think is not helping my brain. <laughs> but um, it's helping my body, but not so much my brain. But I think I'm driving the staff at the city nuts because I'm just like, <laughs> so can you explain this a little bit deeper for me? Let's go a little bit deeper here. Yeah. So um, 
Wow, I just lost where we were. That's okay. The, you're, you're talking about your eidetic memory and, and uh, that you lost a little bit because of the information overload that oh. you have and the four year. Yeah, the four uh, years. Yeah. Yeah. So like first 18 months, basically you're learning what you're doing. Yeah. And then you kind of get in your groove and then you're like, okay, now I can start figuring out how I can make it make a difference here. And then you have a little bit of time. Then when year three hits, you're most likely already thinking about how can I get reelected to continue this work? Right. And you spend a lot of that time figuring out your strategy to get reelected. So there's very little time that we're actually working um, on problems. Yeah. It, it's, it's a, it's a weird situation that you're always trying, you have to keep your job to be able to achieve the things that people elected you to do. Right. Um, so four years is a very short time frame. If you're getting reelected, it's a little bit different because you're all, you already have that knowledge when you're coming in. Right. So you actually have a full, probably three years to get stuff done. Yeah. So, um, and the yeah. general population is a little bit fickle too, right? If they haven't heard, you know, in fighting, uh, when uh, they're judging around in MMA or boxing, a lot of time the judges are basing it off of the last 15, 20 seconds, right? Like yep. who had the last explosion? And fighters actually practice this. How do I explode at four minutes, 45 uh, yep. seconds so that I look best at the end of the round because that's how things are being judged. Yeah. And I imagine a politician doing the same thing. Like we have to plan not to do this until this date because... I want to get reelected and then we can work on our other plans. So there's, I don't want to say devious because that seems like the wrong word, but I think they're, they're having to be very, I would say calculated. Yeah. Yeah. You have to, it's strategic and it's calculated. I mean, I'm probably not the generic politician. So with me, it's just kind of, you know, we, we do this as, as it comes along. Yeah. Um, uh, have I thought about getting reelected? Uh, obviously, yes. There's a lot of things that I'd like to see come to fruition, and there's a lot of things that I don't feel I will accomplish by the end of the four years. Yeah. Um, and I love this job. It's a phenomenal job. <laughs> I get to, I get to meet people continuously that I probably wouldn't meet um, outside of this job. Uh, I get to go and speak to groups of youth continuously, which is probably my favorite part of this entire yeah. job. Uh, I got to speak at uh, leadership seminars. Uh, two years in a row, actually, or two sessions in a row for Volunteer Adri's uh, lead program. Yeah. Um, and it's wonderful to go in there and um, teach them all the different leadership styles and, and teach them how I function as a leader and, and yeah. what works best for me and what works best in different situations. So, Do you have to have a tough skin as a politician? Do you catch much negativity in, in your role? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this year has been pretty tough for me, I will say. Um, overall, people are, people are, just going about their daily lives. Yeah. So unless there's a problem, people aren't really, you know, up in your face or anything. Um, and I really, really, I love it when people bring a problem to me because then yeah. we can actually do something to, to try and work towards a solution. Uh, I mean, when people go on social media and post about a problem, it, it's not fixing anything. So right. just, you know, you have elected officials for a reason. We work for you. Right. Come and talk to us. Yeah. Um, and it's our job. It, if that doesn't get you where you need to be, then then yes, do something over and above that. But I f- 90% of the time, you're going to get what you're going to get out what you need to get out by by talking to the right people. Yeah, uh, I find a lot of the posts. I don't regularly engage on social media, um, but I do read everything in the community. <laughs> nice. I read through all of Airdrie Engaged, and uh, I'm not on Airdrie Dads because I'm not a dad. <laughs> Apparently, you have to <laughs> just be a make dad a or something. fake profile, go on there, and it's totally <laughs> yeah. fine. They're not smart enough to figure it out. <laughs> I'm not bashing on the Airdrie Dads. I hope but they nobody's don't do a, listening. <laughs> they don't yeah. do a whole bunch of research. I know at one point, and this is this is a little bit awful, but a bunch of 
um, Airdrie moms had done fake profiles and went on to Airdrie dads oh. to find out what was going on with their significant other. Oh, okay. And the dads couldn't figure it out. Okay. <laughs> we're, so, we're learning gossip here today. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, so anyways, they, they ch- I don't know if they changed the rules or not. It doesn't matter to me anyway. My, yeah. uh, my wife has free access to my phone. I'm not hiding yep. nothing. If you're not hiding nothing, you don't have to worry about it. That's what I always say. <laughs> so yep. if you're worried about your mom, your wife being on Airdrie dads, maybe just stop doing what's going to take her off. <laughs> Just saying. You're a very intelligent <laughs> man. Your wife has taught you well. Uh, well, I, yeah. I, uh, there's been some ups and downs and some battles, yep. and you, we both find our groove, and not that she's the smartest person in the world, but she knows me pretty well, and, and uh, so when she says something, it's worth listening to every yep. time. Yeah, you know what? My husband and I, we go through the same things. We, uh, yeah. uh, we're very, we're both very opinionated people, but yeah. we've learned to communicate in our own strange <laughs> way, and it seems to work. It's hard in our house. We did this thing called uh, the Enneagram. And so it's an ancient way of sort of, uh, it's almost like a personality test, but it's a little bit more in depth. It's very cool. You get a number between one and nine. It's your major number. And then your wing numbers, so which your two and three uh, profiles are. And you sort of read through and you can really piece together. But what I liked about it is it would show us um, how, so I'm a nine and my wife's a, am I a nine? No, I'm a one. And my wife's a five. My numbers might not be right, but I know what the end result is. So you go on this program and you go, I'm a number one. How do I connect with a number five? Okay. And where are disagreements with a number five? Like what are our point of contention? Yeah. And so I did that with my whole family. And everybody in my family detests confrontation. Like okay. they just, they're not good at it. They don't like it. It makes sense. And I love it. It's how I learn. Like I'm, I, yeah. I like to sit down and have a debate and have someone change my mind yeah. um, in, a, in a healthy way. There's healthy conflict and bad conflict. Absolutely. Um, and I love that. Like, let me, let me spew whatever's inside my head and then you tell me why it's wrong. Yeah. And then I'll decide whether I'm actually wrong or not and then make the changes accordingly. Well, everyone in my household dislikes that. Like they don't like me going, hang on. That's not the right way. And as soon as I say not, they're like, oh, they're done. <laughs> they don't want. And yeah. we're learning to be better at that. I'm learning to communicate better. And they're learning to accept confrontation a little bit more. So I'll tell you. So I um, first year uh, that I was after the election, we were at very first conference and it was a newly elected officials session. So we were sitting in with some municipal lawyers and they were, you know, going through all the kind of the boring stuff. And then they showed us this video and it was yeah. it stuck in my brain forever so the video starts and there's this woman and she's kind of, you know, talking about how she has this ache in her head all the time and she just can't get rid of it. And um, it's just throbbing and it's always there. And then the camera pans out and she turns her head and you see she's got a nail stuck in her forehead. <laughs> and the video is called It's Not About the Nail. And um, and then her, I, I assume it's her spouse, is sitting on the couch with her and he's like, well, you know, if you just get the nail out of your head, she's like, it's not about the nail. And it goes on like <laughs> this for a while. it's about the nail. Yeah, it, it, it goes on like this all, for a little while and then... Um, she's like, I need you to stop focusing on the nail and I just need you to listen to me. Yeah. And so he goes, okay, I'm listening. So she goes, it's just like I have this aching here and all my sweaters are snagged. What is that all about? And then oh my goodness. and then instead of responding, well, if you get the nail out of your head, he's like, that must be hard for you. <laughs> and she's like, it is. Thank you. And then after that, you know, you know, that's when the, that's when the conversation oh. can progress. You're right. Because people, if you build up that thing in your mind where... Like if I'm having an issue with you right now yeah. and I'm thinking about it and you get to talk first, yeah. I'm not going to hear a word that you say because right. I'm focusing on everything I'm going to say to you as soon as you're done. So it is one very valuable thing in conflict resolution is if you 
allow the person to get out everything that they need to spew out, right. then you can start breaking down those walls and having conversations about it. So. it. I agree wholeheartedly. And that's that communication thing, knowing when to talk and yep. when to shut up and when to just let them vent. And when they're done venting, going, can we talk about this? Yep. Um, we I've done a couple of courses. One was um, through Camp Praxis, which is an organization that helps uh, veterans and first responders with okay. PTSD and TBS. They do it through equine therapy. Oh, that's awesome. It was so cool. I got to spend a whole weekend with them. But kind of the basis of what they're trying to do is create good conversations. So if you've got PTSD or or traumatic brain injury, you have a difficult time communicating well. And so that's hard for you and hard for the person you're trying to communicate with. So they've designed a system so that at the end of a weekend, you can have a good conversation. That's all they're looking for. Um, One way that you can communicate. And so they set up a bunch of boundaries and rules and that. But the main goal is like they talk about it as if you're looking through the scope of a gun. So you got way far left you got way far right and then and there's a name for that and sorry i don't remember it and then you got dead center and so on the far left there's no power plays so you don't get to be loud and Mm -hmm. obnoxious and pushy and bully and on the far right there's no walkaways meaning you don't get to ignore the other person you don't get to give them silent treatment we're going to engage no matter what in the very very center it's no blame it's us against the problem. So yep. what's, let's just figure out what the problem is, and then we'll deal with that. So it's not, uh, Tina, you make me so mad. It's like, no, I'm mad at whatever that thing is. So you didn't t- the, the garbage doesn't go out on time. So it's not that you didn't take the garbage out. It's that the garbage doesn't go out on time. So how can we resolve this? And the other person go, like, I, I know I'm supposed to do it, but on that day I have to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning for work. And, and uh, they're like, well, okay, well, I didn't realize that that's what was going on or that that was a big deal. And it's like, can I take it out the night before? Or can you take it out the night before? And you can right. work through a problem without having to go, Tina, you never do what you're supposed to do. Because yep. that's never, all of a sudden you shut down and like, yep. I'm a jerk. You build <laughs> up that wall. You build yeah. up that wall. Yeah. Where when there's no power plays, no walkaways and no blame, you can resolve anything, right? Just yeah. find out what the problem is. How do we solve that problem? You know, you just touched on something that was so, so, so important. It's become so real in my life since I've been elected into office is instead of talking about the person, is it talking about the actions that person's doing? Right. It's, uh, and so the, the thing that hit me really, really hard, um, two things actually. So, uh, one, my kids were making fun of Donald Trump one day <laughs> and like, you know, the, the small Just hand, lots of, uh, subject well, matter to, yeah. <laughs> and and, and it, it, it's out there. So they <clears throat> see it cause they, they see things on TV and the internet and stuff. So they're, you know, small hands, hair, orange skin, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and it hit me so hard that they don't know him as a person. Right. So they can't talk about him as a person. Yeah. See, now is where I'm going to get all emotional on you. <laughs> it's all good. But you can talk about the policies that somebody puts forward. You can talk about your opposition to a comment that they had or an action that they've done. Yeah. But you can't talk about a person unless you know them personally. Right, because... The council didn't vote in black uh, uh, garbage bins. doesn't make them bad people, even if you completely disagree with the reason why. It's like, okay, what do I got to do to get black garbage bins in? I need to go down. I need to rally the troops. I need to get out. I need to get everyone to do an email. We need to do door-to-door and find out, and then we'll get the the council people um, and the mayor on board. Like That's a really simple solution, but to go, oh, Tina's horrible because she voted against the black bins. Well, and and uh, that's one thing that I did not 
not know. Nobody told me that the day you get elected, you stop being a human being. Right. <laughs> Nobody told me this, <laughs> right. that apparently. And, and you know that going in, you can't use your own personal opinions for governance. You just can't. Right. It, it's not, your personal opinions no longer matter. So the day that you get elected, you have no personal opinions anymore. It's about statistics and data and what works and what doesn't and what's well-spent well, money. And yeah, and, and at the end of the day, my job is to represent the broadly diverse opinions of 70,000 people. Yeah. So not everyone's going to love every, everything that comes out of my mouth. Right. Um, some people are going to love it, and then they're going to hate the next thing that comes out of my mouth because it's, it's about somebody else. But our job is to, is to represent everybody, not right. a select few. Yeah. Um, like this year, I've gone through, um, you know, we had the Pride Festival here and then right. the straight Pride movement that, that followed it, yeah. um, which raised quite a bit of controversy in the community. And um, I was fairly vocal about about a few things, which apparently my comments made it down to New York, which we got a lot of anonymous... <laughs> I read a little bit about yeah. that before you got here, and I just, I don't know, like the, the... So my sort of opinion on that, I love the men in my life as much as I love my wife. Yeah. I have great friends, I have great community, and I love these men. The, um, uh, be, but that doesn't make it gay. We know that yep. making it gay is the sexual act of it, and to to go out in public and and um, promote that this is the way that you like to do sex. I don't know that I completely understand it, and I, and I'm not against gays at all. I'm not against bisexuals, LGBTQ, any of those. I'm not against any of them, but I don't understand it. And maybe I need to have someone on here help to um, educate me a little bit more. But even the straight pride, I'm like, why do we need to push? The, the fact that you have sex with a man and I have sex with a woman. Like, why, well, why are we pushing that? So I'd say for me, the whole, we'll say the sexual part of it, it doesn't even go into my mind when I'm talking about LGBTQ versus straight. Yeah. It just doesn't because everybody is a person. Everybody yeah. has their own bedroom <clears> stuff <throat> that they deal with. The difference is, is that, um, sorry. That's okay. So that, the 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 gay pride movement was never born to celebrate being gay. Mm-hmm. It was about being equal, right? And so, if you can, as a straight person, if you can walk down the street and hold hands with your partner, yeah. But a gay person can't. That's not equal, right? So until those barriers get removed, the gay pride movement will still be there, right? And every time it's fueled by somebody saying it's not okay, yeah. it gets stronger because all they're asking for is to be equal. Right. So it's not to be treated differently. It's not to have, um, you know, sections of this place dedicated to them or anything. Right. It's just about having safe spaces to exist as an equal person to everyone else. Yeah. So it's not, it's, I never say, it's not rocket science. It's just wanting to be treated like a human being. Right. And maybe you have different views. Maybe, maybe that's not your, your personal view. But for me personally, I have no right to judge how somebody lives their life. No, and I agree. It's not, uh, not judgment at all. It's yep. a complete misunderstanding as to, because that's the way I see, because I don't think there's any different between um, 
a male couple or like a man loving a man the way I love my friends. Yep. Uh, I think that is essentially, I treat my friends awesome. They treat me awesome. We support each other. Um, I literally love these men um, uh, as much as I love my wife. I, like I love people yep. the same way. Um, we just don't have any sexual act. Yeah. And so, and if that's your choice and all, all the power to you, like that's, that's a hard road to go down because of inequality. Um, I get it. it. It's difficult. And that's your choice as a person. I think you should be free to have that choice yeah. all day. I still don't understand the whole, the the promoting it through parades, through rainbows, that piece. I haven't quite pieced together is the how that's benefiting them. Yeah. So, and again, I think that's just more about the awareness to create the equality. Mm-hmm. So if everybody in the LGBTQ community was treated exactly equal, nobody raised a fuss, those parades wouldn't exist. Yeah. Because there would be no need for them. There would be no need to say, hey, we want to be treated as equal people. I guess I haven't seen the other side where they've been abused or been um, denied the ability to do something. Because I, I see it everywhere I go. I yeah. see um, in churches, I see in our malls, I see everywhere that it's that it's happening. Yeah. Uh, I don't see any abuse going on. Not saying that there's not, because I don't know. Obviously, I'm yep. not seeing everything across Canada. Um, and I know there's abuse going on outside of Canada in the Middle East. You get chucked off buildings. That's um, that. That's not fair at all. That's not right in in any form. Yeah, I just don't see the abuse here. I guess. So I uh, I like to think that Airdrie is a very safe community mm-hmm. for everybody. I mean, we we have some people with very strong opinions one way and some very strong opinions the other way. Um, I would recommend that you reach out to the president of the Airdrie Pride Society. Okay. So when you get a chance to talk to Kirsten, you. Her story is amazing. And the story where she was afraid to come out of her home. Yeah. Because she knew the stereotypes that were out there and the way that she could be treated. But then when she came out, she found they weren't there. <laughs> right. That, that's sort of what I'm getting and at. Is that but that speaks to the quality of our community. For sure. Because that may not happen in other communities. Yeah. There may be that fear to even exist outside your home. I would imagine. Yeah, yeah, so I think if you're not seeing it in Airdrie, I think that speaks volumes about the community yeah. and the pe- and the quality of people that we have living here. Because we are, for you know, 99% of the time, we are very accepting and very inclusive. And that is what I love about this community so much. But uh, I, I encourage you to reach out to Kirsten because the story may shift your percep- uh, perception just a little bit of, of what is out there and what... Um, what people face on a day-to-day basis. I, I would love to, and I will, because I want to know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I uh, I enjoy hearing people's story. I enjoy... Um, I had a lady on... Um her podcast is coming up tomorrow. I can't even say her name. She did it totally anonymous. Okay. Um, her uh, background was she uh, she was married, has kids. Um, they were debating on whether to be a swinging couple or not a swinging couple. Okay. And uh, um, she had stepped into the swinging role without her husband on his permission. It got a little bit messy after that, and they ended up getting divorced. But now she does a blog. Um, it's called Sex in the YYC. So everyone who's listening, I'm recording this a day before that I put out 
the sex in the YYC yeah. one. So this will be weird. Um, timelines is like back to the future, maybe. Yeah. But anyways, she has this story that I, it's same thing. I couldn't comprehend what got her to where she was and why she's doing what she's doing and, and all that. But I enjoyed the conversation and, and she even thanked me after she goes, thank you for not being judgmental because yeah. lots of people are. And I'm, I get it. Like I can't wait to hear that. It, it, yeah. it, it was so interesting to me because I, I don't relate at all. Like there's nothing about her lifestyle where I go, oh, I, I sort of get it. Yeah. There just isn't. But yeah. I enjoyed her story so much and she's a wonderful person. Like it's just, I really liked her as a person. Yeah. And so I'm super interested over the next few years to really get to know her, do a bunch more podcasts, see where her life changes and grows as, yeah. as I hope I can with you and, and almost everybody I've had on the podcast is because yeah. that people just aren't who they think they are. Like people think politicians are all these underhanded dirty scoundrels that are taking money and filling their back pockets and yep. you know and and that is true as well as being very nice moms that take care <laughs> of their community right and and so where do you find that balance or how do you understand where people are coming from and this is the only way that I know how to do it is to connect with people and hear their stories and just try to like okay I still don't get it yeah I'm okay with it but I, I don't get it well, and I, I think that that's a big part of it right there. When when you're okay with it, um, it doesn't mean that you're accepting of it. Right. So uh, it's always just that little bit of education to add to it that, that maybe something will spark something. Yeah. So to be like, oh, okay, I totally get it now. Um, like even, you know, when you said the word swingers, I kind of made a face because <laughs> right. actually we had a diversity and inclusion seminar at Birchurch Theater just last week. Yeah. And one of the speakers there, she's from Calgary, and she was talking to us about unconscious bias. Yes. And we all have it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So we all have it, based, you know, from stuff that we heard when we were kids and it's stuck with us through our life. Um, she actually, I'll give you the link. There was a link that she gave us to um, a study that Harvard University is doing on unconscious bias. Yeah. And you can go on there and you can take all these little tests and you can figure out where your unconscious bias lies. <sighs> That's very cool. Which is amazing because then you can work on it. Right. Right. So you can try and identify what caused it or why you have it and work on creating a more inclusive and tolerant type world, right? So, yeah. so that you say, okay, well, I have this bias. Why do I have it? How can I overcome it? And is it something I need to have? Is it something that I can get rid of now? Because that happened to me 30 years ago. Right. Yeah. So I, I couldn't agree more. Like this is something that I had to really work on in my life and I did it without any help and having more help because I'm sure there's some unconscious bias still inside there. Yep. Um, and, and that blocks relationships, which blocks growth, which blocks knowledge with, you know, all that together. And the more that we can um, limit ourselves or, or sorry, take away the limits that we have b based on our history and our culture and our religion and everything else and just like people or love people. That's the way that we actually get to grow and do new things. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there was a lady who spoke at a Remembrance Day ceremony yesterday. I think it was yesterday or the day before in Calgary. Uh, Dr. Uh, Eva or Eva Olson. And she was a Holocaust survivor. And she oh, wow. And so she touched on this that... If everyone can make a commitment to live a, a life of kindness yeah, and eliminate hatred, because hatred is what fuels wars and it's just so in, in my home, we don't use the word hate. It's actually banned from my home. <laughs> we don't because it's an unnecessary word that fuels hatred. Right. And, and it's something that it's not, it's a very small word yeah. and everyone throws it around all the time because we're just so used to throwing it around. But it's such a strong word. It is. I um, I, I was thinking about this as as you were talking to a Holocaust survivor and, and just being 
nice to people and I'm trying to remember where it's going to go. I got distracted by the emotion of the moment. The that's what it was. So I, I am a big uh, technology. There we go. We're back up running again. Sorry, guys. We had a little technical difficulty there. So I'll back myself up a little bit. Um, that when you lie um, or you do any kind of sin at all, something that you dislike about yourself, you'll treat yourself that way. But you also treat other people that way. So we all have issues. We all have problems. We're all liars or thieves or we're all something that, that we don't like about ourselves. And if we can start working on those things and, you know, like he says, um, always tell the truth or at the very least stop lying. That if you can take that one thing away, just like I'm not doing that one thing anymore. And then you're successful at that. It's really easy to take away the other things that you don't like about yourself and start untwisting that past, that history that's guiding your unconscious sort of biased right oh yeah self-awareness is such a huge thing and and a lot of us will deflect to other people's problems to ignore our own continuously i'll tell you the rule that i've set in my life is the opposite of deflecting if anything goes wrong i'm like what did i do to create this okay so if you have an angry teenager i got it from church okay (laughs) (laughs) it it uh um as the leader one of the leaders in my home i'm supposed to lead my home and by leader if something goes wrong you have to go well, hang on, how much of this is mine? Because it's not 100% someone else's fault. It's always some percentage yours. So at least own that percentage, right? With teenagers, sometimes it's 1% my fault. (laughs) But it's still partly my fault, right? Um, But how do you work on that 1% so they don't have that as an excuse anymore? And then you have to look and go, oh, like I was mad because dad did this. Dad doesn't do that anymore. So now what do you got to be mad about? And I find as parents, we have a very, very large responsibility to our kids. Yeah. So... Um, I don't know if you remember the first time that this happened to you when your kids did something and you realized that you're the one that put that, like you taught them that or you way more often than I yeah, would like to care. The or first care to talk time about. it happens, it hits you so hard and you're like, Oh shoot, that was from me. Right. And so, and, and, and this doesn't go back to politics. It goes back to, you know, teaching your kids. It doesn't matter who you vote for. Nothing's going to change. Like yeah. all those little mentalities that we teach our children. Um, we need to stop. Right. We need to stop. I, I, one thing that, I get asked all the time when I go to schools, I get asked what the government is doing to combat bullying. Yeah. I, I have to say, honestly, nothing. Yeah. Because as adults, like if you look at government, how, how different political parties interact with each other, it's bullying at its finest. Yeah. And we, because in the social media age, we kind of thrive on that negativity sometimes. So if we can say, no, this is not acceptable. We can't do this to each other. I want to, I want to see someone for who they are, the facts that they're representing. And I'm going to do my own research and my, I'm going to educate myself on this so that I'm not just not going by what the media told me these people are doing. I'm going to find out for myself. Yeah. Um, so I think we, we encourage bullying every day in our, in our day-to-day life when we flip someone the bird on the road <laughs> or we yell at them from in our car because, you yeah. know, um, I, I, so I used to, do, I used to have a cake company and sometimes I'd be traveling with seven tiered cakes in my car. Yeah. So I'm driving really slow. I'm taking corners really slow and I'm braking very slow. Yeah. And I'm sorry. I probably swore at you at some point. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> but it's those things where we have no idea what's going on in someone else's life, but right. we judge them continuously based on yeah. their actions. And even when we look at, you know, the Oscars, the worst dress list, yeah. it's one of the biggest bullying things that I've ever <laughs> seen. And we do it and we do it without thinking about it, but we pass that on to our kids. Yeah. So we're never going to be able to eliminate bullying. I, I struggle with this because I think bullying helped me in a lot of ways. People bullying me. 
Um, I think that we wouldn't have an Elon Musk or a Jeff Bezos or um, who's the Windows guy? Bill Gates. We wouldn't have any of those guys if it wasn't for bullying. Those guys got to where they were because they were driven through negativity to get where they are. Yeah. Um, they were driven by being called a geek or a nerd or being pushed around or shoved in a locker. That's what gave them their drive. And and I, as opposed to saying, we're going to try to eliminate all bullying, which I think is an impossible task. Why don't we encourage on, or why don't we encourage people to give their kids the strength to handle the bullying? So if someone was to come by and call my kids names, I don't think they would care at all. Like I don't think that there would be a second of them coming home and be if it happened every day. I don't think it would affect them. See, and I, my daughter was bullied for a year and a half. Yeah, and it was awful. Mm-hmm. And so we went through every scenario at home. We role played situations and how we can approach situations in a different way. But when you talk about all these really, really well-off people that have made it there through bullying, um, as a faith-based person, I would always say that God has a plan for all of us. Yeah. And they probably would be there regardless. Maybe. That that definitely can be true, too. And and, uh, and I think you have to be an advocate for kids. You have to yeah. give them tools. And, and when those tools don't work, you have to step in. And, you know, that's that's our job as parents as, and as protectors. Um, I think it starts with giving them tools that, yep. you know, really, if you look at name call, because there's a bunch of different bullying. But if we yep. look at just name calling and that destroys a kid's life through name calling, we need to work on a way that they have enough confidence that a word doesn't bother them. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't think that's an easy task for some people. And for others, it's going to be very, very easy because there's a scale on what uh, what can happen, right? Like sticks and stones may break by yep. bone, right? That, that's absolutely true. And I'll absolutely agree with you on that, that we need to teach our kids resilience. Yeah. I think... Um, that's the word. Resilience is, is a big thing. And I know that they they do touch on it in schools, especially on a, in elementary schools. Um, we, we live in a society right now that it's very much a everybody wins mentality quite frequently. Right. And it sets our kids up for failure. Yeah. Because that's not how the world functions, unfortunately. It'd be great if it was. Yeah. But it's not. And so, um, I mean, even witnessing some kids who have such bad anxiety when they get out of school because they got rejected from a job or from a, a potential spouse or... Yeah. They're not set up to handle that. Um, So I do agree with you there that we need to teach our kids resilience, but we need to teach more compassion and kindness than I think we have in in previous years. And that comes from adults. It comes from us um, doing better than we have been. I agree. And and, uh, resilience is a big part of it. And Grant, that's just words, right? To be resilient against words is... um not an overly difficult thing to do, but it's a start. Physical violence is a completely different era or different venue in my mind. Like we, that's not something that should be tolerated at all. No, um, I would never tolerate my kids getting abused physically in yeah. any way. Bra strap pulling, gunch pulls, punches, kicks, throws, yeah. all that kind of stuff. I haven't heard if, that word for a very long time. Sorry, I've heard pulls. anybody say gunch. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. You know, I think we grew up in a very, very different time, though. So we didn't grow up with the social media where people could attack people continuously online and relentlessly. Yeah. So I think, I mean, technology is great sometimes. This is very easy. So that one bothers me a lot when people say, well, I'm getting bullied online. I'll shut it off. (laughs) Like, it's really easy to shut it off. I actually think that because, so I am... I'm a horrible example for my children. I will say this. So before I decided to run for council, 
all I did on my phone was phone people. That's all I did. And now I'm continuously trying to monitor the pulse of the city. So like I said, I'll go and I'll read every feed on a Facebook thing. I do read all the comments, which, I mean, they start out okay, and then they just delve into (laughs) four people who can't stand each other and just fight with each other continuously. Um, Wow. That's the same on every post, eh? It it kind (laughs) of is. But but it is a really good way for us to figure out the pulse of the city and figure out what's going on and what's, what's going wrong. There's been a lot of scenarios where I've picked up something on social media, identified it as a problem gone to the city administration said this has been identified as a problem what can we do and then i'll contact that person offline say here's what we're doing to rectify this problem yeah. or this is why we're here but um my kids are learning that's that you go on social media for a lot of things so i'm really 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 focusing on getting myself off of social media as, hu- as much as humanly possible because i don't even know if kids nowadays have the ability and the self-control to get off social media yeah it's so part of their everyday life um, and it consumes people. Don't you think that's like, it's like saying, uh, because I like to have, a, and I don't, but if I like to have a beer each day, that I can't tell my kids not to have a beer. Yeah, you can. It's not good for kids to have, like there's all these things that we're worried about telling our kids no for, yeah. that because we do it. Well, we're adults, and yeah. we get to make the decisions for us, but we also get to make the decisions for our kids. So if it's harmful, I'm like, sorry, it's gone. Yeah. Like that's just that's just the way it is. Like you don't get to do the things that are harmful to you because you're a kid, you know, or because it's yeah. okay for adults and not for kids. Well, and I, you know what? Uh, my daughter and I have conversations. So we we've been dealing with a friend of the family who has some alcohol problems. Yeah. Trying to help them through that, and because of that, my my daughter is terrified of an of alcohol. So. I mean, I'm not a person who would say that I don't have a drink. Yeah. Like I, like with, with dinner or if I'm out with friends or something, I'll have like a, a Malibu and, and Dr. Pepper. That's my favorite drink. I've never tried that. It's that really, sounds delicious. It, it doesn't taste like alcohol. So <laughs> I'm not promoting alcohol use online <laughs> gotcha. here. But, but trying to explain to her. And so probably a better example, I was making jam a little while. I like canning. Mm-hmm. And so I was making a jam and it was a plum and orange jam with Grand, Grand Marnier in it. Because mm. Grand Marnier is kind of that orange thing. Yeah. And so I'm trying to explain to my daughter, try to get her to taste test it. She's like, no. No, I won't do it. Because it's got booze. Yeah, and so I'm trying to explain to her that that cooks off. Yeah. And the flavor is there. So trying to explain the difference between being an alcoholic and tasting alcohol in your jam. Right. Like, it's trying to have those kind of conversations. And I think you tell them that it's not okay to do this, but you do explain to them the different scenarios where adults might might do this. Yeah. This end of the spectrum, you don't ever want to be there. You don't want to get to that point. Here's the jam. Right. Like, like there's there's variations on things, and you need to teach teach them the common sense. You have to give them the the, the tools to have that common sense to say, okay, today I'm having jam. Yeah. I, and yeah. And it's got to be honest. That's the thing. Yeah. Like people tell you that it's harmful to smoke, and I'm like, well, there's lots of studies that show having a cigarette once in a while can actually boost creativity and not be detrimental. But if you're having ten cigarettes a day, well, that's pretty harmful. So saying it's harmful to smoke is maybe not the right term, right? Just like we big discussion with teenagers is is drugs and alcohol in our home and and with uh, cannabis being legalized. And I'm like, yeah, they say they can do it at 18. I really wish you'd wait till you're 25 before you tried it because at least your brain is is uh, fully developed or nearly fully developed as opposed to when you're 18 and I'm not picking on teenagers, but you guys aren't that bright yet. You haven't fully developed that you should maybe wait until you get all of your emotions in line. You get all your spiritual stuff and you become a full human being. And I know at 18 you feel like you are, 
but at 25, you're going to feel like you are. And then at 30, you will again, is that you wait until like the time is right and that you can actually have control of your emotions instead of letting the alcohol or the cannabis or whatever thing you're doing take control over you. So to say that pot is bad for some people, but not for everybody, yeah. that's why it's legalized, right? Uh, psychedelics are super good for some people. There's tons of studies done in the 60s showing that it was super beneficial, but it's illegal right now, so it's bad for everybody because you can go to jail. But when it is legalized, even then you got to make the decision, is it good for me now? Am I in the right set setting, the right mindset, all that kind of stuff, right? So being completely honest when you talk to them, you're lucky that you're honest with your kids and not saying, well, alcohol is bad because Uncle John can't stay sober. Well, it's bad for Uncle John. It's good if you can have one or two or, you know, have it once a month or whatever is good for you, then it's good for you. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's, we've had conversations um, about things like, you know, if you're having one drink with friends at a dinner, it's completely different than if you're drinking by yourself in your home. (laughs) It's a a very different scale of things. And and so you have to look at the scales. I'm probably the biggest anti-smoking person on the planet. So the cigarette thing probably gets me a bit. So it's so addictive. I totally understand. It was just a, if you could have one a day, it wouldn't be that harmful to you. If you could stick to one a day, I just don't think most people could. The cumulative effects of those once a day. And so even like vaping right now, um, Luckily, we were able to make a resolution up at the Airdrie, or not the Airdrie, the Alberta Urban Municipalities Association. Um, we had a, uh, one of the municipalities put forward a resolution that passed with all of the municipalities um, to tell the government that advertising for vaping needs to change. It needs to be more in line with smoking so that kids aren't um, seeing this sensationalized product that looks like a USB stick and it's, and it's not harmful for you in any way, shape or form. Like the data is showing that there is a lot of harm to this product, but we are promoting it as something safe and fun to people. So, um, shortly after that, we did see that the Alberta government went and, uh, is doing a review of their tobacco and vaping act right now. So there's surveys online. You can go and take them. I don't think the survey is adequate. I think it, they're very leading mm. questions that really won't give them the data that they need. Um, so they're getting the data that they want. I, I'm a little disappointed with, with the survey, yeah. which I, I am quite frequently with government surveys. I get that it's hard to word it for the vast majority of people, but uh, I don't like it when they lead people into questions or they make them so broad and generalized that there's no way you could get data off of that. Yeah. Um, I still encourage everyone to go and take the survey. Um, You have to do your part. You have to start somewhere. It's that baseline data, and then they can build on that. Um, I know I would really, really like to get uh, a meeting with the MLA who's actually initiating that. Um, I I am very, very vocal about the vaping thing. I think we need to get a handle on it now so it doesn't turn into the tobacco of the... Uh, of this century. I, I agree. I think that if anything you're doing to excess is going to be super harmful for your yep. body. You could do some things not to excess and they can be harmful for your body yep. as well. Um, I, I would avoid vaping personally. Yep. That's mine. I avoid smoking. I avoid yep. having more than three drinks in a sitting. I avoid having more than uh, one sitting a week in, with alcohol. Like There's all these rules that I set up in my life coming from a uh, background of alcoholism. Um, it's... Uh, 
you just got to be careful. You got to know what you're susceptible to and don't do those things, right? Yeah. And, and so, and, and things have become so scary now. Like we just sat through a session on opioids the other day. Uh, I mean, I, I carry naloxone with me all the time, just just in case. What's that? Uh, it's the injection that you can give to somebody who is, is having an overdose from opioids. Okay. Um, to temporarily reverse those effects until they can get to hospital. Is it like Narcan? Like when the yeah. hair... Okay. Yeah. So it's similar to the, like Narcan's the nasal spray. Yeah. Um, this is just straight injection right into the bloodstream. So it works faster. I think they used to inject Narcan. So when I was a security guard in Vancouver, we used to find uh, heroin addicts uh, that we thought were dead and yeah. the ambulance would show up and, and shoot them up with something. Yeah. I, I, there probably was. I don't okay. know a lot of the history on it. Um, the session was great, and we it's just it's so terrifying the small, small, small amount of an opioid that right. can make someone overdose. Like the uh, grain of salt size. Yeah, like we uh, actually they were telling us a story. There was a, a grade three student who picked up a cigarette, but they thought they were doing the right thing by picking up trash, right? But there was opioids on there, and the, that student overdosed. Wow, that is powerful stuff. It is, and it's and terrifying. we're not allowed to have pot. <laughs> I, I mean. It, I mean, I have my own opinions about cannabis. I, there's some very great medical uses for it that people uh, find the benefit from. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm fully on board with the recreational stuff being legalized, but it is, and it's out there, it and we got to deal with it the way that it is. So I'm super excited that they're at least allowed to study it and find out what's yep. true and what's not. And that, to me, is the most exciting part about it, because I know people that have been wrecked by pot. For sure. Yep. And I know people that have done it and they're totally fine. And so to say that it's bad, I don't think that's true. To say that it's good, I don't think that's true. I think that when we get our genetic testing done and we can understand who it's going to be good for and who it won't be good for, that will be the ultimate. One thing I will say is it's always great to have extra uh, research done on products to be able to actually educate people on Right. The risks, the benefits, that kind of stuff, and have that information readily available and have it concrete. Because yeah. a lot of times you'll get researched by this party that says it's this and this party says that it's this, but those don't really match up. Right. So it's great to have enough concrete data that it is the same across the board. I agree wholeheartedly. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm excited about. Boy, did we go down a rabbit trail there. Uh, it, it tends <laughs> to happen when I get talking. So, yeah. That's okay. I enjoyed it. I don't know if I have anything else on there. Uh, you could maybe talk some smack about our other council people. Tell us about, no, that's not going to happen. No, not going to happen. No, they're very good people. No, I'd, you know what? Our council works very, very well together. We disagree on things, but we do it in a very respectful way. I've met a bunch of the people on the council, so yep. I was totally joking. Uh, we did a bunch of volunteer work for Daryl when he was being elected. We did yep. all the folding of his pamphlets to go door to door and spend some time with him. Arm wrestling champion of Canada. Yeah, he's he's got a giant bicep. It's crazy. <laughs> he's in the gym every morning at 5 a.m. I know he's, uh, he's all the credit to him because I'm not anyone that makes it to the top of anything I'm yeah. impressed with I don't care if you're the best basket weaver in the world it's super impressive to yeah. me um, Ron Chapman I haven't met yet L Jones I've met um, and I didn't I've never met Kels or sorry Candace Colson either um, she would be interesting to me you'll love them they're, yeah. you know what there is it's a spectacular group of people with very diverse backgrounds and I think that's what makes it work so well yeah um, actually I love working with L Jones he's and he was a shock to me because we have very different opinions on many things. Um, but working together, I found so many similarities that we have. And I always say that he's kind of the basket to my hot air balloon. because <laughs> I'm a sky high dreamer. I think everything's possible and everything is, is sunny side up. And, yeah. um, and then there's 
the Jones that it's going to cost us though. So love <laughs> you, love you, Al. That's but, awesome. But yeah, no, I always say he's the basket to my hot air balloon in a really positive way because yeah. we kind of balance each other out. So. No, that that's the way it is. I've been trying to get uh, Mirror Pierre Brown on for a while. Yeah. And I've talked to him personally and he's he's willing, but it's lining up schedules oh, at work. schedule's and he, crazy. And he's got a gatekeeper. <laughs> I'm not going to say her name, but she is like a pit bull. Our assistant is amazing. Yes. Honestly, um, half the time I, w- I would not know where I was supposed to be when I was supposed <laughs> to be there if it wasn't for our assistant. Yeah. She. Uh, so when I talked to uh, Mayor Peter Brown um, uh, publicly face to face and talked to him about it, he said he would love to do it. Yeah. He goes, but you have to set it up through this lady. Yeah. But he goes, when you call her, you have to say that I said this. Yeah. And so that I could get past the gate. And even then she was being skeptical of it. And I'm yeah. like, holy, the mayor said, lady. like, yeah. <laughs> But that's her job. Well, it's pretty amazing. I, I mean, when I look at his schedule, so he does over 500 events a year. And I so, saw that today. So there's some, there's some days where, you know, there's some weekends where I'll have eight events in a day. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, you just back to back to back to back. And, um... But he's like 500, uh, 500 events. That's just events. Right. Plus all of the board meetings, the council meetings, the pre-meetings. Um, yeah. I mean, as counselors, we go, we are at all of our scheduled meetings, all of our scheduled sessions, and any of the external boards that we sit on. Yeah. Um, but Mayor Brown does all of the background work as well. So he has to approve uh, the agendas before they come forward. Anybody who's the chair of anything has to approve those agendas. Yeah. Uh, and he chairs most of our stuff. So, yeah, so his time I, is very limited, but yeah. uh, I, I'm very impressed with how much he still manages to get out and go to lunches at Cedarwood Station and, um, you know, visiting the Over 50 Club and dropping by here and dropping by here and dropping by here. And it's quite spectacular. I uh, I really enjoy him. We've uh, met at church and at uh, community events, and uh, I don't know that he always remembers me not that i would expect him to um that that would be silly for seventy thousand people it's, it's hard like i'm really bad he's at good names. at it though there's been a couple of he times yeah. when like it i have to say like we have a connection because i was wearing shirt shorts in church and okay. he showed up and i guess his wife was giving him a hard time like you can't wear shorts to church and yeah. he saw me there in shorts so i have to say hey nice shorts and okay then he gets who i am um this but, is a good story i like this story <laughs> this is so funny yeah so we're at uh victory church at the time and uh, i was volunteering and i was welcoming people and i'm in my my shorts and my sandals and a t-shirt that's how i go to church yep judge me if you need to <laughs> totally fine <laughs> yeah. we're not judging wardrobe remember right that's right you wear what Best you want and worst dressed at church and the totally. better dressed you are the closer up front you get to sit right <laughs> that's not how it happens so anyways he walks in and then he sees me and he takes me aside he's like thank you so much for wearing shorts he goes i took flack all morning because i wanted to wear shorts yeah. and i'm like that's yeah, all good it's uh, weird to see him in shorts though it's kind of like you know if you like, i think that's body shaming you're not allowed to do that no it, no <laughs> i'm sure he looks just, great in shorts it's just when you see someone in, in one type of outfit all the time and then all of a sudden they like show up and they're like shorts right. and sandals he came to my daughter's birthday party this year and he was in a very casual outfit and it just threw me completely uh, off or so. if he wears a hat he grew a beard and the beard took me off that, i saw a picture and i'm like what the heck that seemed unhygienic <laughs> <laughs> i did give him grief about that beard quite frequently beard shaming you heard it here everybody a counselor I, tina hates beards i didn't say i was perfect <laughs> it's just it, another one of those things where all of a sudden you see somebody and they kind of look like santa claus and you're like oh well this is new today so yeah yeah no judgment yeah. Uh, he he's a pretty awesome guy i uh, Wonderful. i don't yeah. have too much complaints about what he does and it's a hard job it's 70,000 yeah. people and and probably eight different opinions as a whole maybe 
the club could be a lot more. So the, yeah. the fact that he got reelected, the fact that uh, um, our city is growing, getting stronger, and we've got great programs coming, I'm super excited. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. Maybe one day I'll run for something in politics, but I'm not sure yet. I think I need to um, educate myself a little bit more before I do. But I love being part of something big. And yeah. I think you can really do that in politics. And, and maybe the municipal level is the right level to get in. Well, see, and I think one really, really <laughs> nice thing that you can do... Um, there's a lot of things about this job that I didn't know going in. And I feel like I probably should write a book for people who want to do this job. I'd read that book. Everything that you're going to encounter. I am writing a book. I'll tell you about that later. Okay. But uh, it's a kid's book. <laughs> but um, th- we have all of our municipal boards that act as almost advisory council, um, councils to council. Yeah. So like community services advisory board and the municipal policing, um, board and that, so those are really good ways to get involved if you don't totally want to commit to the politics, Yeah. but you really want to be involved with the decisions that are made at the city level. They're very good because we get people from varying backgrounds to kind of consult on different issues. And then those recommendations go to council. So it's a very, very good way to get involved without having to deal with people yelling at you all the time. <laughs> I, I'm totally good with conflict. Get mad at me, yell at me, do whatever you need to do. Yeah. It doesn't doesn't hurt my heart at all. Um, you probably have something very interesting I hadn't thought about before you just said it, but policing and Airdrie. Mm-hmm. It's a different model than I'm used to growing up with. So in, in uh, Surrey, you either have municipal police or the RCMP. But now uh, peace officers and sheriffs are playing a much larger role in communities than they ever used to. And do you know what the background is or why we're doing that? Uh, I don't have any of the background on it. Okay. So I actually just joined the policing board. We had our organizational meeting on October 28th. So I'm shifting over to that board this year. Okay. Um, I don't know tons about our policing model. Yeah. Uh, I know that we are revamping it right now. So there actually is a complete review of our policing right now um, that they'll be moving forward with new priorities um, for the years coming up. And that's um, our, our police force does a really, really great job. They do. Yeah. So I, I mean, even just looking at the A little too much ticket writing, just for my opinion. <laughs> well, here's my <laughs> statement on that. If you're getting a ticket, generally it's because you were doing something wrong. Just like my wife. (laughs) Well, you know what? I've got, I I will say I've gotten three speeding tickets in my life. Yeah. But you know what? I was speeding. (laughs) Like, I I don't fight it because I I was. And um, I Um, just, I always see the comments about cash cows and stuff like that. I said, you know, if you're not breaking the law, there's no cash to be grabbed. Right. Like, yeah. I got friends that are CPS and, and RCMP, and I know that's not what they do as, yeah. as much as everyone thinks that they have a quota that they have to get out for tickets. I don't believe that's true at all. Well, and I always think I always think about that kid crossing the crosswalk at yeah. the next block up from where you're pulled over. It could have maybe could have saved their life. Right. Yeah. They're there for a reason. And speeding is a big problem in our community. Yeah. Like a really big problem. Um, people really need to... I don't know if it's that they're not paying attention or they just don't care. Like, I don't know what it is, but we need to pay attention. I do see tons of people going the speed limit and I applaud those people every day. (laughs) I love it. Um, I'm always holding up traffic because actually I hold up traffic in Calgary because I'm so used to our 30 kilometer an hour zones that when I get to residential zones in Calgary, I'm still doing 30 and people are behind me. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, I'm just so used to, I'm so comfortable with the speeds here. And uh, I'm just used to them. So I just, you, you know, just if you stick to them for a while, you get used to them and, the, and they're fine. We need Autobahn rules, just saying. <laughs> they make me feel a lot better. I'd get a lot less tickets. So, I mean, my background before this, one of the companies that I managed in Calgary was uh, an exotic car service shop. So oh I dealt boy. with Ferrari, Lambo, Maserati, like all these things. <clears throat> 
So I get that side of it. <coughs> believe me, I do. But also the thing is, is when we were working there, we went through track training. So yeah. we did defensive driver training. I know how to recover from a skid if I slide on the ice. Um, this could be a very long topic if we even go down this road, but our driver training in Alberta is so inadequate. Well, there is none, is there? It, it, it's horrendous that we... So if you are in a province that is in snow, like six months of the year, you would think that driving in snow and ice conditions would be mandatory for people to know how to do this. Our insurance rates would be lower. Our uh, firemen wouldn't have to go out on as many calls because people wouldn't be having these accidents. Like right. we get one snowflake and everyone forgets how to drive. Uh, I, I, I did used to do 250 kilometers, 300 kilometers every single day. Yeah. Um, as, as a salesperson for the company I work for, I drove around easily doing 250 kilometers a yep. day. I saw the crazy of the crazy. There's, you know, I probably saw even more than the police officers. Yeah. Too, maybe. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of people that just have no idea how to drive in the snow. And then you put studded tires on a four by four truck and they think they should be driving a hundred miles an hour yeah. because they can. Well, that's not fair to everyone else on the road. I get it. You can, you can stay on the road, you can stop, you can do all that kind of yeah. stuff. But what are you doing to the people around you as you're doing that? Well, and so and we always teach our kids that like, I just realized the other day that my daughter will have her learners in like four years, which is scary. terrifying. <laughs> But, I mean, my husband was a, a track instructor yep. when he was younger. Um, uh, he's a what, What's a track instructor? Uh, so teaching people how to drive sports oh, cars. Okay. Uh, he drove in open wheel, I think it's Formula V cars or something, okay. out, out out east. And he was, he did sport bikes and that. So he, we're, we're very comfortable on the racetrack. Yeah. Um, but with that responsibility, uh, or with that privilege, I guess, of driving faster on tracks, you learn how to do it safely and properly. Right. You learn defensive driving skills and you learn to pay attention to what everyone's doing around you. Right. So we teach our kids, it's very important that you're driving safe, but you also have to be aware of what everyone else is doing safe because it only takes one person to do the wrong move. I don't. I can't tell you how many times I've avoided accidents by looking in my rearview mirror yep. and watching what the person behind me is doing. And yep. I'm like, eh, I'm just going to let them go and do what they're going to do yep. uh, because you have to be aware of everybody around you. Well, and we really, 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 really need to enforce this with our kids that driving is a privilege. Right. It's not a right. You're right. It's not a right that you have from the day that you're born. It is a privilege that you earn by being responsible. And cars are heavy, heavy things. It takes one bad move to make a chaotic day. Like, it, it, you can turn it into the worst day of someone's life. I've been in, uh, it was 15 or 16 car accidents total. Uh, I was a dumb youth, drove crazy. Um, uh, most of my accidents I didn't cause. Yeah. Uh, I was stalled in an intersection, got T-boned by a lady that was distracted by her dog. Um couple of snowy ones that weren't very bad, but 15 in total accidents. And yeah. most of them were, they should have never given dumb me a license. <laughs> Because I, I, I was a 16-year-old retard. But when you're retarded, you when you're, yeah, when you just don't have the capacity to put two and two together, um, you shouldn't have a driver's license. And Do you watch Canada's Worst Driver? I don't watch TV. Okay. Yeah. Well, that show, I think when you see the level of entitlement in some people's driving skills that yeah. that this is my road. I can do whatever the heck I want on it. And it's not a fictional thing. Like those are real thoughts. Yeah. Um, we need to have a better respect for vehicles and yeah. for driving. <clears throat> and, and I mean, you look at some countries that driver training is so different and it's, 
it, it's taught with respect and people learn to respect every rule of the road and they don't break them just because it's fun to break the rules. Yep. They respect them because they're there for a reason and they understand that reason. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're missing that in Canada. It's placed upon us as parents to do most of the training. It's not required to do any training. Yeah. You have to read the book and be able to pass a driving test. Yep. That's it. And you can, we know what the test is, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's yeah. if, and I failed it the first time. So if you fail it the first time is you put no effort into it. It's like an IQ test, not a, not a driving test, right? It's, yeah. you spent 16 years in a vehicle watching it being done. And then you have a book. You just follow the rules of the book. Yeah. It's a short book. It is. Yeah. <laughs> so, and it's, it, they're very if you have common sense you can pass that test without ever getting in a car right um but yeah no it's i, I mean just the ice driving factor of it i mean they have the ability to put um the ice sheets in the summer so if you're getting your license in the summer there is the ability to teach you how to recover on ice even yeah. if there's no ice on the road yeah we have the technology it's like the year 2019 now <laughs> are you guys going to um hire out the training for your kids or is your husband going to do it um it depends. My husband is a great instructor for other people oh. that aren't related to him. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Love you, honey. But um, uh. yeah, it's the same thing. Like, um, you know, when you're growing up, the last person on the planet you ever want to learn anything from is your parents most right. of the time because they don't know what they're talking about. They don't know anything. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that between my husband and I, we will handle the training, but I'm a little bit more of a people person than he is. So yeah. we will probably tag team it probably communication styles are different absolutely <laughs> yes yeah but he is he's a far superior driver to me i will publicly admit that oh right wow now. i'm not a bad driver i'm a very good driver but yeah. uh, he's just better yeah yeah he's just better so yeah. my wife always makes me drive she has like she does it every day for work obviously yep. but uh she doesn't like doing it if we're going somewhere she's like you're driving oh i love we're driving do you i love it and actually the only time my husband and i really really fight is in the car because we both have very different driving styles yeah. And we both are the drivers. So, yeah, we fight continuously. We my car, my rules, shut up. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. But we're both, we're both, like, we're competitive in nature. And so, you know, I'm the better driver, you're the better driver. And, yeah, yeah and I think because we, like, he comes from a track background and I come from a business that was track related. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have your own opinion. Yeah. I think, awesome. I think uh, that... That, that kind of touches on another subject that's kind of going on in Airdrie here is we do have a lot of speeding going on, especially late at night. We have a lot of, yeah. and I think it's very, very sad um, that we don't have facilities for people who are car enthusiasts to safely and legally drive their cars at speed. Well, they, they took the racetrack out. They had they the- did. Um, Race City. Race City, right, yeah. in Shepherd. Yep. So Race City, I, I think, was a tremendous asset to Calgary. I mean, it was an aging asset, and there was the chicane where the gophers were always kind of smeared all over the road, <laughs> which made it slippery. But um, they had the Friday night races, and it gave people, especially youth, yeah. young young people who <clears throat> are building cars and they're car enthusiasts, if you spend all that time building a car, you, you want a place to test that car. Yeah. So that gave them a safe and legal way to do it. It's beautiful. And so when you take that away, you you eliminate that possibility. And where are they going to do it? Yeah. They're going to do it when it's not sanctioned, when it's unsafe, and it's illegal. Right. So uh, I was very excited when there was the opportunity that, to have the racetrack in Rocky View County. That got shut down um, for a plethora of reasons, I'm assuming. Um, but I do know that there is one being proposed right now i think it's actually in the planning stages in uh mountain view county i think so really still close yeah um and then i know the badland badlands one is 
is really underway uh, if it's not completed by now. I didn't know about those. I'm going to have to do a little research and uh, find someone to come on the podcast and educate me. Oh, yeah. If you need car stuff, just let me know. Cool, cool. I, yeah. I know most of the people in this, the very small, small car world around here. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. But. No, that that's amazing. I'm glad that they're, uh, someone's getting on board and putting the funding forward and, and yep. being allowed to do it is, is a big deal. It, it's sort of... Um, I know a lot of people don't like it because they think it encourages bad driving, but as as a martial artist and someone who likes to train and spar, which I haven't done in a little while, but when you get punched in the face or you get to fight, it does encourage you to do it outside, rarely. It teaches you how to learn to do things properly and with respect. And you know what it feels like to get punched in the face. Yeah. So you don't want to take that risk outside of where you know it's safe. So when I get punched in the face by a martial artist, I know he's not going to follow up and kick me in the face when I'm down on the ground. Yeah. But when you do it in the street, there's a good chance that if you get hit... There's no rules. There's, right? there's no rules. Yeah. And as good as I think I am, I guarantee there's someone out there that's going to get a shot in on me and all of a sudden I'm going to be on wobbly legs and not know what to do and they're not going to have the respect to to not so again I think having a place that you can burn off your speed energy in a safe way is fantastic yeah and it's unlikely it's going to do anything out in the street yeah it, it definitely I mean there are there are stats out there there is research that shows having a facility like that reduces uh, illegal street racing. That's so cool. And, and so, I, I mean, I wish the government of Alberta would put in driver training facilities that had things like ice sheets so people could learn winter driving. And maybe it comes with a a half-mile track or something. Like, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well, that wasn't me this time. Yeah, look at that. I've I'm been hitting this mic really the whole time. I thought my uh, producer was getting up, so oh. I was going to sneak him some water. No, I, um, see, I'm a hand talker. I hit things <laughs> continuously. So. In my mind, as you're doing it, and it's happened with a few people, is that uh, I'm like, I get better mic stands. <laughs> No, it's okay. I just keep hitting this one over here, and the yeah. springs sound kind of cool, actually. They I do, do like them. So We had um, Renee Ruenka on the podcast, yep. and uh, you know her, I, I think. I do, yep. She used to teach percussion, so like drum circles and yep. stuff like that. She did a whole TED Talks on it. So at the end yeah. of the podcast, we did a drum circle where we twanged the uh, oh, springs cool. and drummed on the table yep. and all that. So trying to get over the fact that I used to freak out when they would go, and now I don't anymore. I, I You know what? I love Renee so much. We were... Um, we did a fundraiser for Advas. Actually, Kim Cheel was putting it on. Do you know yeah, Kim Cheel? I know Kim. She's yeah. been on the podcast as well. Yeah. So she was putting on this this uh, fun ri- fundraiser for Advas at Victory Church, mm-hmm. and um, it was the the play that she had just finished. It was a uh, you know three powerful women throughout time, yes. and yeah. um, so at that one I sang a Kelly Clarkson song. Actually, okay. it was that piece by piece. You know that one that she cried uh, okay. on American Idol. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And then I, I obviously cried because I cried everything. But uh, Renee came on board and she played the cello behind me when I was doing it. It was just, it was... I don't think there's anything that lady can't play. Oh, it was stunning. Yeah. Cello's on my bucket list to learn how to do it. But they're huge instruments, like... I want to learn to play guitar. Yeah. That's the one. And then, and I've recently become friends with Renee, maybe about a year ago. And yep. so she teaches. And just as our family is getting ready to like, oh, we all want to learn something. Great thing to do as a family to learn an instrument yep. or a group of instruments, create our own little Ferguson family <laughs> Your band. band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I won't be singing, I promise. Um, that she quit teaching. Oh, I was so I upset. Know. Yep. I was, <laughs> as I was like the day I was going up to tell her or ask her if she would teach our family, she was all excited. She's announcing, I'm never teaching music I know. again. And I'm like, what? I know. Uh, yeah. The, the, the shift that she made is inspirational, actually. Yeah. She's, she's, she's an amazing, actually, their whole family is amazing. I, I love meeting with them. Um, yeah. 
I actually just lost my vocal coach. My vocal coach moved to Nanaimo, so we're losing oh. all these great teachers. I was blown away at the amount of talent we have in Airdrie. Oh, my goodness, yes. Like, we have Grammy Award-winning songwriters. Mm-hmm. We have, I don't know, a dozen bands, probably a dozen podcasts. Like it's, oh, yeah. It's incredible for our tiny little community how many people are out there. The the actors, Kevin Davey, lives on the east side. Yeah. Um, uh, Kim Chill, uh, Chelsea Restall, like, just to name a yeah. few. Few people, uh, Dragos just went to. Um, He's in Vancouver, right? Just went to Vancouver yeah. um, Film uh, School. Yep. Uh, he'll be back again, and hopefully, I'll have him on the. But yeah, there's just so much artistic. Have you talent. met his mom? I haven't met his mom, but my daughter did classes with Drago when they were under the Torchlight of the Spark yep. program. Um, so I got to meet him quite a bit, and he's he's quite a great kid. Oh, his mom is the most adorable human being on the planet. <laughs> really? You will love her. <laughs> okay. But I always say that our community per capita has more world-class artists than anywhere that I've ever seen. I would love to see the statistics because I would bet my year's wages that it's true. I mean, for visual arts, we got Veronica Funk, and I'm going to miss names here, so I'm just going to apologize in advance, but uh, Aaron Brecky-Khan, like, I don't know if you've ever seen her work, but it's on uh, some of the boxes, the utility boxes around the city. And I mean, her artwork's in Japan and Seattle and like all these places. And we have all these international artists living right here. I know. And we rarely tap into the potential here, which is... I'm trying. I I try to meet as many as I can and I put the offers out. I want to bring them on and, and, um, well, suck some of the artistic juice out of them, as it were, and and get their names out there. Well, and I think, see, this is what I'm trying to do with council here. So I, I did put forward a notice motion just a little while back to form a municipally run arts council. Mm. We are one of the only communities that don't have one. I'm on board. And I want to be part of that council. Well, it's, it's, it's amazing because, and I'm going to say this because I'm an artist, that sometimes artists have tiny bit of ego. <laughs> and, and, and it's a generalized comment, I know, but it's... Um, <clears throat> You know, for some people, it's their livelihood. You have to have an ego about what you do. Yeah. And some people are just great and they know it. Yeah. And some people are great and they don't know it. And those are the ones we need to keep encouraging for sure. But um, if you, I know an arts council was kind of tried before, but it, it was hosted by an arts organization. And it's very hard for one arts organization to tell all the rest, okay, here's what we're doing. Yeah. And it's very hard for that because there's always those egos in play. Yeah. And so if you have a neutral third party person running it and just saying, okay, let's collaborate on ideas. And, you know, maybe we can get to the point where uh, I, I really struggle with when I see 10 of the same events going on and people can't attend all 10 of those. Yeah. So nine of them are losing out on the revenue from that one person. Right. They're losing out on volunteers because they're spread so thin across the thing. They're losing out on donation dollars because, you know, each our, our corporate businesses in Airdrie are phenomenal for sponsorships. Like they step up. The amount of left, people right, that donate in this town, it's crazy. It's crazy. But when you have 10 people asking you for money for the same thing, you try and give a little bit to each of them. Yeah. But if we could amalgamate that and sometimes, so if there are synergy, like there will be some events that are strictly for one organization because they've created that brand and, and that's their thing. But say if you're doing a visual arts um, event, you say, hey, 
can we get Nose Creek players to come in and do a theatrical portion to it? And can we get this person over here to come in and do this? And let's make it one bigger event so that, you know, more of the public are going to come to this event because it's the event. Right. More donations are going to come in here and we'll figure out the, the process of splitting up those donations. And, you know, also when you're looking at grant dollars from other levels of government, they are much more likely to give grant dollars to a council of artists than individual organizations. Right. So if we can make this happen and, and there's st- everything's still up in the air. So we're getting research back on how other municipalities do it now, what works, what doesn't work. And then we'll, you know, sit down with the members that want to be part of it and say, okay, let's figure out a terms of reference. Let's figure out something that everybody's happy with and everyone's comfortable with. And then let's really, really, really showcase this spectacular world of artists that we have here and, and benefit the city in a greater way. I love the idea. Yeah. I'm on board. I will be part of that council. I'll volunteer my time, my efforts, all that for that. I love it. It's Yeah. We should talk about Polaris Center quickly because yep. we've both been there recently. And yep. um, I don't know who the owner is. I think he's a secret guy. He doesn't want his name out there. Okay. Uh, it's a good thing you said that because I do know his name and I was going to say it. So it's a good thing uh, you said that. I don't know if that's true or not, but he, I feel that's what's going on. Okay. With well, there. I will just not say it then. Okay. okay. And then uh, if he's listening or if anyone knows him, they can say, hey, you should yeah. come on. And, and because he's doing a great thing with the Polaris Center in Balzac. I'm so bummed that it's not in Airdrie. <laughs> it's like. Five miles out of the, I like know. it's so close, but yeah, he um, he's doing a great job setting up that. There's orchestras and live yeah. plays and and instrumentalists and uh, I mean he's doing amazing things and he's already got plans to grow up bigger and bigger yep. and bigger, which is fantastic. And so the I'm, building is stunning, like it's so unassuming from outside, right? And then I you know. go in and it's just breathtaking. State of the art yep. electronics, the the mood in there, the lighting in there, it's outstanding. So one thing I will say is. It, it, with places like that. So um, I had somebody tell me all about the, um, have you been in Saskatoon? Do you go to Saskatoon? Uh, we were there on a family vacation four years ago. Is that right, Eric? <coughs> Something like that. Ish. Ish. Yeah. yeah. So there was this whole section in Saskatoon down by the river that was like the place that you don't go walking after dark. Like it was okay. just a scary place. Things were run down. And a developer went in and he bought up all the land and he was only leasing businesses and selling businesses to creative industries. Wow. And it completely transformed their city. Yeah. So my in-laws just moved from there and they're over, they were over 80 and, you know, would tell me that, you know, people would be dancing on Thursday nights down there now because it was just, it's, it's creating that community and that's what culture does. Yeah. And that's what boosts social well-being it reduces social isolation. It enhances our economy because people want to relocate to these places where people are thriving. Yeah. So, yeah, so places like this, arts and culture gets swept under under the rug quite frequently because people don't totally understand the value of it. Right. But it is what increases everything in our life, including our economy. I couldn't agree more. <clears throat> there was one last thing that I wanted to uh, talk to you about is okay. the Combative Sports Commission. Okay. Um, do you know the reason why Airdrie is stepping away or not putting because there's a lot of call for it here. We have a lot of martial artists. The city of Calgary has a commission, but they charge a fortune okay. to have people have fights in the, the city, so much so that uh, it's a basically um, 
um, eliminated most of this revenue for the city is yeah. that they've made it so expensive that people can't run events all that well. Their hard knocks got shut down. I know uh, Winter Warrior have had two fights now, um, but it's cost prohibitive because of the taxes from the commission. Um, it's something that uh, I looked into very deeply when I was doing more martial arts here and was thinking about putting on events, um, was volunteering to be the head of the commission. And I had talked to the one from Grand. Anne Prairie. I can't remember her name right now. Um, and she was willing to give up information and help us get the commission off and going. So have okay. you heard anything from Airdrie's side? I have zero knowledge of it. Ah. I, I wish I had some, <laughs> but I have zero knowledge of it. I can I can find out whatever information that I can for you and, and, cool. and get back to you on that for sure. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure what the reason why. I think it would be a good revenue for Airdrie. We have some uh, bigger buildings that we could run events in. Um, Genesis Place One, the Ice Arena. Like there's lots of places that you would would be perfect for for doing these types of events so well, especially uh, with the new rec center coming on board where's the new rec center i haven't heard this yet okay so uh, the city has purchased land in conjunction with a uh, developer and the uh, school yeah. board to build a multi-purpose site and it is so you know where 40th avenue is 40th avenue so 40th avenue is the you know with the um, the, the road that we can never get from the province, the overpass on the highway, and then it has that little... Oh, uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, so 40th Avenue goes straight across 8th Street and then over to Winsong. Yep. So from 8th Street, approximately a mile down that road is where the, their new rec center will be. Very cool. Yeah. So we're going to get a west side... Um, we're going to get a west side rec center, yes. Beautiful. What's the timeline on it? Uh, I think completion of construction, I want to say 2026, but don't quote me on that because my brain's not functioning well. <laughs> That's still six years away. So yeah. and knowing how construction goes, that could be seven or eight years away. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, we have a lot of big projects coming up in the near future here with the new, li- new library probably being the first. Yep. Um, and they're tearing down the old fire hall for that. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. yep. So that's the site that was selected for it. Um, I can't tell you how excited I am for a new library. And yeah. Our library is phenomenal. It's great. And I think one thing um, that people struggle to wrap their head around is, is the concept of the library. Yeah. Because especially when you talk to people who do everything digitally, they're like, well, we get all of our books online. And we have like, the, what is that, Audible and Hoopla yep. and all these things. That's me. But it's, it's so much more about the social integration and the programming. Yep. So it's about... What, one example I always use is we, you know, if somebody is transitioning in between houses or they're couch surfing, yeah. it's a safe place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's okay. You're allowed to cry over kids and don't I have really a place to sleep. I try not to, but, but you know, it's it just, it's those things that, that touch the community more than the books. Yeah. The books are great and the information is great, but it's also, say, um, that family that doesn't have Wi-Fi at their house. Yeah. They can, like... I've actually witnessed a family sitting outside the library at the end of the night after they've closed and using the library Wi-Fi to download all the stuff that they needed. Yeah. Um, Open mic nights, poetry reading, stuff for artists. Like Like it's... All these different things that people just completely don't think about when they think of the word library. I mean, in the future, I'd love to see it shift away from the word library and be more of a community center and those kind of things. And I think the... The uptake for use of the facility, which is extremely high now, would be even higher in the future. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm very excited about this new building. Well, you know what? We blew away an hour and 45 minutes and nothing, and I don't think there's anything that I had on my list that I wanted to ask you about because it just kept adding and adding and adding. Yeah. Um, Is there anything you want to add before we go? I think we've covered so much here today. Yeah. You'll come back again? Anytime. Awesome. Yeah. 
uh, put a bug in uh, Mayor Peter Brown's ear to come Will on do. too and to find out about that fighting commission or uh, combative sport yeah, I'll get, commission. I'll get the information that to you on that. That would be super cool. Yep. And I'd also like to look at the uh, policing um, uh, board as well. Yeah, so we'll have more information. Like, I mean, they're just starting the, to kind of look at the city again yeah. uh, is what they're doing. So we will get more information back on that. So I would say kind of keep updated with the council agendas as they come out. Um, What's the best way to keep updated? So on the City of Airdrie website, um, you go to council meetings and for everyone, you can actually, you can watch me cry every single, every (laughs) single meeting because the videos are posted there. It's all live streamed. Yeah. So you can watch the videos, you can read the agendas beforehand, you can read the synopsis of it as well as the minutes. So there's there's always many ways for people to keep updated if they can't make it to the meetings themselves. I didn't even know. That's brilliant. Uh, Well, thank you for coming. No, thank you. This was great. Um, Please, I know you're not a big social media person but share when uh, what you can with your social media group yeah. and the council and eric do you want to rule outro hey everyone thank you for listening thank you for sharing this podcast is over <laughs>